जय गोपी जानवा गिरीवारधारी यशोदानंदनाजानरंजन यशोदनंदनाजानरंजन विष्णुपाद परमहंसा परिव्राजक चार्जा अष्टोत्तरा स्वामी श्रील प्रभुपाद की अनंत कोटा वैष्णव Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya ओम ज्ञानाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचनाचना
Shivas Thakur and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I pray that Krishna, Srila Prabhupada, Srila Gurudev use me as an instrument so that their message can flow through me and I can serve the Vaishnavas that are listening. Today is Tuesday, July 20th, 2021, and I am Jai Sri Radhe Devi Dasi. We are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 8, Prayers by Queen Kunti, and Parikshit Saved, Text 38. Bhavato darsanam yahi Rishikanam ivesh situ Evayam namarupabhyam Yadhubi sahapandava Bhavato darshanam yahi Shikanam yveshitu Evayam numarupabhyam Yadhubi sahapandava Bhavato darshanam yahi Rishikanami Veshitu Evayam Namarupabhyam Yadubi Sahapandava Bhavato Darshanam Yarhi Rishikanami Veshitu who are Vayam, we, Namarupabhyam, without fame and ability, Yadhubi, with the Yadus, Saha, along with Pandava and the Pandavas, Bhavata, your, Adarshanam, Absence, yarhi, as if, rishikanam, of the senses, eva, like, ishiku, of the living being. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. As the name and fame of a particular body is finished with the disappearance of the living spirit, similarly, if you do not look upon us, all our fame and activities, along with the Pandavas and Yadus, will end at once. Purport. Kunti Devi is quite aware that the existence of the Pandavas is due to Sri Krishna only. The Pandavas are undoubtedly well established in name and fame and are guided by the great King Yudhisthira who is morality personified. 
and the Yadus are undoubtedly great allies. But without the guidance of Lord Krishna, all of them are non-entities, as much as the senses of the body are useless without the guidance of consciousness. No one should be proud of their prestige, power, and fame without being guided by the favor of the Supreme Lord. The living beings are always dependent, and the ultimate dependable object is the Lord himself. We may therefore invent by our advancement of material knowledge all sorts of counteracting material resources. But without being guided by the Lord, all such inventions end in fiasco. However strong and stout the reactionary elements may be. So today's topic is pretty interesting. It's talking about fame. And, you know, what is fame? If I asked you, what does fame mean to you? Being well known by everyone. What does it mean to you? People know you being famous. Any other Definitions or how we want to define fame? Somebody has a special reputation. reputation. Exactly. So these are all, you know, there's not much more to know about fame, right? Everybody knows you. You're famous. Um, There's also that part I was discussing last week about being famous, that People talk about you, they criticize you, you ju- they judge you. Right? It's actually, we, you know, it's one of the six opulences, which I'll talk about, but it's one that's difficult because when someone is famous, they, you're in the spotlight, you have a reputation to uphold, you have a certain standard, but then you get judged very critically, more so than other people. And a lot of famous people start getting people that stalk them. They receive death threats. And it's, you know, it's part of what fame is. Um, so why is fame, having fame so important to us? Say that again? Because of our false ego? But what about it? Get puffed up? Feels good to be recognized. Any other reasons why we want to be famous? Huh? Because we want to be the center. We want to be God. So there's some thoughts of control, maybe, and you know, power. Exactly. So it is one of the six opulences, and that's you know present in Krishna, and so therefore it's present in us in small amounts. In Bhagavad Gita, um, the purport of text ten one, Srila Prabhupada says, "One who is full in six opulences, who has full strength, full fame, wealth, knowledge, beauty, and renunciation, is Bhagavan or the supreme personality of Godhead." While Krishna was present on this earth, he displayed all six opulences. So we have a small amount of those opulences in ourselves, and so we naturally want to have these six opulences. And I always think, you know, fame is is considered an opulence in and of itself. However, 
I, it's hard to think of someone who's famous that doesn't have one of the other opulences that made them famous. For instance, someone who's extremely beautiful, models and actors and actresses. It's their beauty that makes them famous. Um, someone who's strong, right, like the, the weightlifters, football players, it's their strength that makes them famous. So fame is kind of like the underlying opulence of all of it. Like it, it's kind of why we want all the other opulences as well. And even more than that, someone said power, right? So we want these things so we have some, like, uh, mirage of power. Like we think we have power if we have these things. And yet we see, you know, in this charged up situation that even people who are celebrities, but they may be of like African American descent, they still can get into just as much trouble as someone who isn't in celebrity status because of how people um, react to racial skin color. So even that fame can't protect people in the material world. So we desire to have it because Krishna has it. right? It's part of us. It's part of our constitutional nature. It's natural for us to want a little bit of fame beauty, strength, wealth, even renunciation. And there's downsides of all of these opulences. We talked a little bit about the downsides of being famous, being judged, criticized. There's downsides of being wealthy. Right? And if you think of like Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, they're like the wealthiest men, and yet they are divorced and, you know, like they, the relationship didn't work, right? Um, to get that amount of wealth, you have to spend so much time and energy to create it. People expect things of you. You know, again, it's another way of becoming famous when you're really that wealthy. People, you're well known. So it's natural that we want these opulences. The key is to learn that. We want them for Krishna and not for ourselves. Um, Bhagavad Gita 10, 4, and 5. Prabhupada says, Fame should be according to Lord Chaitanya. Fame should be according to Lord Chaitanya, who said that a person is famous when they are known as a great devotee. That is real fame. If one has become a great person in Krishna consciousness and it is known, then they are truly famous. One who does not have such fame is infamous. So we know that on some level this is to be true, right? 44 years later, after Srila Prabhupada has left this earth, we still feel his presence. His, his presence is really strong in spreading the ISKCON movement. Um, a lot of people outside of ISKCON even know about Srila Prabhupada and what he's done and how he's traveled the world and brought... Krishna consciousness to all over the world. And he did it not seeking fame and prestige. He didn't leave Vrindavan and think, oh, I'm going to become super famous and I'm going to do this and, you know, people are going to, like, throw money at me. And you know, He didn't do that. He was thinking, whatever hardship I have to go through, whatever I have to go through, I'm going to do this because I know that I need to serve um, the Vaishnavas in this spread this message of Krishna consciousness. And the interesting thing was is that I was looking up, 
you know, what all has been said about fame in the books. And I came across a conversation on a morning walk on March 26, March 26, 1976 in Delhi. And the devotees were discussing with Srila Prabhupada about a man who, I don't, either he planned to eat a motor car or he ate a motor car. And I swear, I had to read this paragraph over and over again. I'm like, does this say motor car? Like a car that we drive? And apparently it does. It said that this man had was going to eat a motor car. I don't know. And so Prabhupada had said that he's desiring like that, that I shall be famous by eating a motor car. So I was like, who is this guy? I Googled him, right? Man eats motor car. So I looked at to see if I could find any results. And I only found one person from 2018 who... I, he was in the process of eating a motor car, which I don't understand. But um, there were the only other things that I found were camera tricks of people eating. Like it looks like they're putting a motor car in their mouth, but it's just the, the angles of the camera. And then there's a lot of car articles about cars, like converting cars into a motorbike, and you know, so it was just really weird. So I was like, well. This guy, this was in 1976 that they were having this discussion. If he ate a motor car, maybe he was famous for, I don't know how long, 15 minutes of fame. But now, like 45 years later, I don't find anything about this guy. So what was the point of eating a motor car? And if he was on the Google search, he wasn't on the first page. You know, maybe he was further down. I didn't go past the first page. So really... Nobody has any knowledge of this act that this person did. He was seeking fame, but it was temporary. And even if we talk about great figures, <clears throat> well-known historic figures like George Washington, right, the father of our country, or, I don't know, Attila the Hun from the 400s, or, you know, Queen Cleopatra from, you know, B.C. times, right? I mean, at least... They've been known for a few thousand years, a few hundred years. But even at the end of Kali Yuga, when there's big annihilation, who's going to remember them at Satyuga, at the beginning of the next Yuga Dharma? They're, they're going to be forgotten. And who knows in another two, three thousand years if they're going to remember who these people are. So fame, if we have it, it's very fleeting unless it's connected to Krishna. And it's not that we, and that fame is all bad, you know. Like I said, Prabhupada used his fame to influence people in the proper way to get them to come to Krishna. Even Krishna says, you know, he uses fame and reputation as a way to convince Arjuna to fight. He says in Bhagavad Gita 2.33, If, however, you do not perform your religious duty of fighting, and you will certainly incur sins for neglecting your duties and thus lose your reputation as a fighter. So reputation is important. We want to make sure we're maintaining a good reputation. We want to do that for Krishna and not for ourselves. He goes on to say, People will always speak of your infamy, and for a respectable person, dishonor is worse than death. The great generals who have highly esteemed your name and fame will think that you have left the battlefield out of fear only, and thus they will consider you insignificant. 
Your enemies will describe you in many unkind words and scorn your ability. What could be more painful for you? So the point here is Krishna is telling Arjuna to fight because it's his duty to fight. That's what his service is to Krishna, is to fight. And in doing so, he's he's using his reputation and fame and how you know it'll tar his reputation and he'll become dishonored as a way to motivate him to fight. But we should also understand that Arjuna's only motivation to fight is to please Krishna. And he's not doing it for his own personal glory. Even maintaining his reputation is as a service to Krishna. So we can think, oh, well, Krishna's you know, telling Arjuna to worry about his reputation. Therefore, I need to make sure my reputation is spotless and not do anything and you know, and in some case, in some ways, yes, we want to make sure that we're representing Krishna well, but we're not worried about our reputation for ourselves or our family. You know, we have this thing. Um, there was a uh, a comedian, Hassan Minaj, and he has this uh, bit about "Lokya kahenge," what will people say? And we let that control our lives, like. I can't do this because what will people say? And that's not what Krishna is talking about here. He's not talking about the petty things that people will say. He's saying, you're representing me, and you're shirking your duties that I'm telling you to do. That's not a good reputation to have. But in other cases, and I can't remember off the top of my head, there are times where um, people are encouraged by different avatars to, you know, forgo the reputation. Who cares what your reputation thinks? Do what's right, and, you know, you'll still find that glory. So we have to be really careful that our fame and reputation that we're thinking about is really to represent Krishna, and that any fame that we have is really his. You know, I was talking about last week about that fear of, putting myself out there on Instagram and TikTok of being famous and realizing that that's my own fear, that's my own ego getting in the way. Like, oh, what if it's not perfect? What if I look fat on the camera or my hair is messed up or I say the wrong thing, right? That's not about, that's not about Krishna. That's about me. That's about me worrying about my reputation, but not in that right way. Yes, of course, I want to look presentable and I want to be, you know, I want to put my best side forward. But it's important to not let those kinds of things hinder us from doing our service, right? It's better to do your, what was it I heard? It's um, version 1.0 is better than zero. It's better than not trying at all. So, you know, we just want to make sure that when we're doing it, it's what we have to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? You know, am I doing this so that I can feel good, that I can get this glory, I can feel this little sense of like, wow, I'm so awesome? Or am I doing it because someone else can benefit from this message, someone else can be served, someone else can come to Krishna consciousness by doing this? And so, you know, again, I have to glorify people that go out on books. It's a very, um, you have to really put your ego aside to do something like that. Because you're approaching people and you don't know how they're going to respond. You know, they can respond very politely and just turn you down. Or they can 
be enthusiastic and be like, wow, this is great. Thank you. You know, or they can be like cussing you out and throwing stones at you or whatever. It's, it's not an easy thing to do to approach someone that you don't know and ask, you know, hey, would you like a book? Um, I know personally it's not something that I could do, I could feel comfortable doing, but I find other ways to get Prabhupada's knowledge out there, Prabhupada's message out there. So the thing that I focus on when I'm thinking about, am I doing this for myself or am I doing this for Krishna, is thinking about who I'm serving, serving the Vaishnavas that are listening to the class instead of thinking about, oh, you know, I'm such a well-spoken person and I'm giving class and therefore, you know, everybody's going to revere me. No, it's not that. It's that um, really I understand that I have some idea of what I'm going to say during class, but a lot of times the inspiration just comes. And I know that that's Krishna and Guru flowing through me and it's not really me, right? I'm just the, the instrument, the vessel that is relaying the message. So often I like to go back and listen to my lectures because I was like, what did I even say? I don't know. And I'll listen to a lecture and I'll be like, I, didn't, I don't even know that I said that. Like I, it's really um, weird sometimes, right? Like who was saying that? But it's that inspiration. It's understanding that Krishna was saying the words, giving, in, giving me the inspiration to say the words that exactly somebody needed to hear. So if I'm focusing on what that other person needs to hear, then the words are even more inspired because it really does touch their heart because I'm thinking about what does this person need to hear and those are the words that come out. And I always find that a lot of these inspirations and thoughts come to me when I'm chanting japa. Like, I was thinking about the fame thing, and one of my fears of fame is, is being criticized, is um, being scrutinized, right? Like, who wants to live under that level of scrutiny? Um, you know, that you do one wrong thing, and all of a sudden you're all bad because you did one thing bad. <clears throat> and I thought, you know... Krishna, during a japa session, Krishna revealed to me that, no, actually, he is like my armor. I put this armor on, like Arjuna's got armor on. I put the armor on, and whatever is said, he'll absorb it. Because it's not really about me. It's whatever that person's going through. The message wasn't the right message for them, or it was hard for them to hear, or they weren't ready for it. Um, So Krishna gives me that armor that, you know, protects me from that scrutiny, that even though it might be happening, it's going to protect me from it. Just like if I didn't do it, then my reputation would be tarnished. Like, you know, this is something that I've been feeling, like I've been saying for such a long time that I want to do this, I want to impact people in this way of spreading the message of living at the mode of goodness. And I haven't been, and it's kind of been weighing on me that I keep saying I want to do it, I want to do it, and now it's like, it's time to do it. I'm doing it, right? Otherwise, what's the reputation? Every time I talk to someone, they'll be like, oh, she's always got that, you know, big goals, big plans, but nothing ever comes of it, you know? And that's that's what it's kind of been up until now. So I'm really looking at, you know, that inspiration from Krishna that I can step out and, you know, 
get that message out there, serve other people that are looking for some some hope, some joy, you know, in this material world where it's not so readily available. Um, so I'd say Joppa is really important in finding out what's really for you and what's for Krishna. Because if you have a really nice Joppa session, Krishna will reveal what's really true. And we also know, you know, like, if we're truly honest with ourselves, we know why we're doing certain things, you know, why we're um, putting on makeup, why we're ironing our clothes. You know, yes, there's this idea of looking nice, but also, you know, there might be some personal egotistical reasons to do certain things like that. And the thing about that is to understand that that's okay if that's where you're at. If I'm in a place where it's important to me that I look presentable all the time and I put on makeup and I have a nice pressed sari on and jewelry to match, and which is often the way I come for festivals, it's okay because, again, I'm coming to a festival. And it's okay because I understand that I'm, I still have some maya that I'm, I'm working through. And I'm not being dishonest with myself or trying to present myself as something that I'm not. But the idea is to understand that this is not the ideal, but it's okay that that's, this is where we're at and honoring where we're at and not trying to be something that we're not. So it's important to, again, have those honest, authentic conversations with ourselves. Like, where am I really? And what can I, how, where do I need to progress from here? Because if we're not honest about where we're at, it's hard to progress, right? If you tell your GPS to take you to the temple, but you don't tell the GPS where you're at to begin with, I mean, it doesn't know whether or not to tell you to turn left or right because it, it doesn't know where you are. So it's the same thing. We have to know where we're at to, in order to reach our destination and be honest with ourselves about that. Hare Krishna Mataji, thank you so much. Nice lecture. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, when we are chanting and... Uh, as you mentioned that this thought of fame fame came to your mind during chanting. So getting ideas during chanting is not a distraction. It can be a distraction, but my my when I'm chanting really intensely, my mood is that Krishna, how can I serve you? Right? So it's like I'm having these conversations with Krishna about my service to him. What is my service? How is that my service? And a lot of times it's like dispelling doubts. So when I'm starting my chanting, I'm like focusing on how can I serve you? How can I serve you? You know, how can I perform my service? And then these ideas come, these inspirations come like that. Asking what you, I'm asking like if these ideas come to us, how would we know that these are the destructions? Or it is really Krishna speaking from our heart? So I tend to find for myself, there's always confirmation. And it always comes in threes. I don't know how to explain that. Um, in the Bible, there's a story, I think, Gideon's story. Like he asks God, like, if you want me to do this, all the sheep will be like 
here, and then it was like that. And then, so I'm not telling the story right, but then the next day he's like, well, wait, maybe that was a fluke. If you mean it, then all the sheep will be black. And then the next day the sheep were all black. And so he got like triple confirmation. And I find that that's true. Like, I'll have this thought, and then I'll be like, oh, no, that's just my own mind, right? But then Krishna sends me the same messages in other mediums throughout the day. I've shared this before. Another time I have, I don't know, inspiration is when I dress to deities. <clears throat> and a few years ago, I was um, really stressed out for my job. I was working at a clinic, long hours, um, barely had any time to associate. I was getting home really late. And my only association was really coming to dress the deities in the morning before work. And I remember I wanted to quit so bad. And I was sitting there, and I was just like, you know, kind of like when you, well, I was just in so much pain, I guess. I don't know. I was I was so stressed and overwhelmed, and I just was praying while I was dressing them that, you know, please, like, can I quit? I want to quit. And I heard, like, Krishna say, clear as day, no, you cannot quit. And I was like, no, I didn't hear that, you know. And then, like, two or three other ways in the next couple of days, he showed, he told me, like, he, the, the message kept coming to me. Like, a random person had called me that I haven't spoken to in a long time. And we were talking about the situation at work, and he was like, no, you just have to stick through it. You have to stay. And I was like, you know, and then something else happened. And then the interesting thing about that is that I used that strength that, okay, Krishna wants me to stay at this job. And I stayed for another six months. And then six months later, Krishna's like, quit now. Like, you know, you told me to stay before, but now you're telling me to quit. And again, three or four times, like, the message comes. So we have to be really open to the, that message, to, to knowing that what's our message and what's not our message. And the more we do it, the stronger we get at it. It's like a muscle. So the more we listen to that, you know, that internal voice of Krishna, the stronger that voice gets. So we have to get into practice of doing that. talking about how we have a tendency to be in Maya, conditioned to our, uh, I guess, our imperfections, or our lacking of Krishna consciousness. We're not fully self-realized having a, and see everything like a pure devotee sees Pandita Samadarshana, sees Krishna and everybody, sees sees everything as they are, acts in such a way that, that on a spiritual platform all the time. So how can we uh, be encouraged then that will there's some way that this will ever that will ever become a, a pure devotee when it seems like we're just so trapped in our conditioning our, our false ego and our material mindset, desires for sense gratification, and, and all the things that seem to be just like uh, 
I mean, we know philosophically that we're spirit, soul, part and partial of Krishna, but we have a tendency to be in the that we're this body and this and this this is a the actual reality. Whereas that the, the other the, the spiritual concept is like philosophy, but we're you know we know who we are. You know, we look at our driver's license and that's who we are. That driver's license tells us uh, when we're born, what what gender we are, how tall we are, how much we weigh. So, where does it come to that the idea that we're not the body is actually it goes beyond just philosophical concept and and actually a reality in our lives. I'm not sure I quite understand the question, but it sounds like you're asking about um, how how can we continue if we're not if we can still feel our conditioning and Maya is strong. How do we know that in reality we're not this body, and how do we know that we will come to the point of pure devotional service? Is that correct? It really just comes down to faith, right? And seeing the examples of the acharyas that have gone before us. We know that there is something that gives life to the body. We know that there's something that gives consciousness to the body. And that's not just the heart pumping. There's something that makes the heart pump because there's a difference. I mean, if you've seen a dead body, if you've seen a dying body, you definitely can tell the difference between a dying body and a dead body. The instant the soul leaves, that living force leaves the body, you can tell. So we have to ask, what's the living force? What's the difference? You know, one moment that the body is still there, but we can tell that the consciousness is gone, the living force is gone. So in that way, we can see that there is something more to just this body. And then as far as, you know, knowing that we will come to that level of devotional service, I think our meditation isn't isn't that we want to come to the level of that pure devotional service. It's that we just want to please Krishna. And even if it comes to that level or doesn't come to that level, right? So if we're focusing all of our energy and intent on how to please Krishna, how to please the devotees, how to serve our guru, I think it naturally just comes. But if we're thinking about, like, how can I get free from Maya and how can I... It's kind of still more entangled in what you want and your desires instead of placing it at the desires of Krishna, whatever you want. Right? Like, It's not necessary that I attain liberation as long as I get to serve Krishna. Right? That's the prayer that we want to have. So... I think that's really where the focus is. And, you know, we do that by serving, by chanting, by reading, by looking at the examples of the of the um, spiritual leaders that have come before us. You know, Srila Prabhupada, my spiritual master, Small Krishna Goswami. Um, there's so many examples that we have. So the magnitude of fame is different, but whatever you do, you get some fame for whether you were looking for it or not, 
So when you get fame where you are not expecting it from, how do you handle that thing? How, how should we handle that? So the idea is to not let the fame affect you in any way, right? Um, honor, dishonor is all the same. It's more that how can you harness that to serve Krishna? Right? So if people know you, and they have, the, you know, you're able to influence them in some way, then influence them to take up, you know, some, reading a book, or coming to the temple, or chanting. You know, if you can use that fame to serve, then it. It's, it's, you can take that ego away from it, that I'm not doing this just for myself. I'm using this as a, as a medium to influence people. And you're right, we all have some level of fame. I mean, in a community, you start to become known and you have a reputation and, you know, people will talk because that's what we do. We like to gossip. Um, so, yeah, that'll happen. And it's just a matter of, knowing who you are. When you have the honest conversations with yourself about who you are, what your intentions are, it doesn't it doesn't phase you because you're you can always be the authentic self that you want to be. You know, we hear these stories about celebrities all the time. Like some celebrities they get that fame and they become, you know, total jerks mean, right? They all of a sudden, they're like, oh, you can't talk to me. Don't you know who I am? And other celebrities are like down to earth, like, hey, yeah, how are you? You know, they they don't, it doesn't affect them that they're that famous. Other than sometimes having to keep safe, like we said, sometimes celebrities can, for some reason, attract negative energy and death threats and things like that. But even, you know, wealth is the same thing. You can you know, just because somebody has money, it doesn't make them automatically a good person. You can have um, poor jerks and rich jerks, and you can have nice people that are rich and nice people that are poor. So it's just a matter of knowing who, who you are, what your values are, and being very mindful and intentional about those values. For me, oh sorry. For me, one of you know my big values are intention, compassion, and relationships. Right? So, I'm sorry, not intention, integrity, compassion, and relationships. So, integrity is really important for me. That you know, to be authentic, to say, to do what I'm saying, and to say what I'm doing. Like that, it's really important. So, I try to live up with that integrity. Compassion, you know, having compassion for everybody is really important for me, too. And having relationships, that connection, the bond. So those are the things that I always focus on. You know, if I become extremely famous and I start losing the compassion, well, then I've lost the integrity integrity immediately. So I have to keep maintaining that integrity. It's just, it's important for me. our spiritual superiors, particularly the spiritual master. So my question for you, you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but I think you probably want to answer. Um, Could you paint a picture for us 
of what you would feel this project being, let's say, the heart and soul of the Tamal Kufrigo Shrine. Um, could you paint a picture of us for us of what this project can or will look like as it moves towards some form of perfection as far as you're, you've been involved, so I'm sure you've seen a lot. So are you saying the project that I'm working on? This, no, this project, Halachanji. Halachanji's project. Community. It's a Tamal Krishna. It's his heart and soul that this thing flows, mm-hmm. right? So I'm just, for myself, I'm trying to get a vision of where things can be going, should be going, and what we should be striving to do to help it move in that direction. I'm sure there are more senior devotees than I that can better answer that question. I mean, I think, you know, one of the big things that I, I oh, he's got the mic. Um, he, he said that, uh, he's asking the question that, where do I see this project of Radha Kalachanji Dham, this is the heart and soul of Tamal Krishna Goswami, my spiritual master, where do I see this project going, or what direction would I like to see it going? So I think, um, one key thing for me, like I said, is compassion, right? So I'm always going to lead with compassion. And I think with that, it means that we approach each other as a community in a non-judgmental fashion, understanding that Maya is strong for every single one of us. Maya is very strong, testing us at every moment. And if we're having difficulty in the material world, and then we come here and somebody says something and we feel judged, and and it's not a place that you feel peaceful and relaxed, then people will stop coming. And we've seen cases like this. You know, there's stories. Um, I remember, I think, uh, Rasetha Shabbat Maharaj said this story once. We were talking about this kind of compassion judgment. And he said that there's a story about a devotee who had kind of gone away from the temple, hadn't been there in a few years. He comes to the temple. You know, their heart was wanting to see the deities, see the devotees that they hadn't seen in a long time. And they're walking through, and someone's like, oh, it's been such a long time. Why aren't you wearing a dhoti and tilak? This person hasn't been here for five years or whatever, and the first thing is a criticism. Right, so those are the kinds of things that we want to watch out for because they can be very painful for someone who's already having so much pain. And we're all in so much pain. We're in the material world. So I, I would like to see you know, that level of compassion for everybody, that we're all in this struggle together and somebody may be doing something that we, don't, we wouldn't necessarily do ourselves but we have to understand that that might be a, a struggle or addiction or something that that person has to go through, a challenge that that person has to go through, and all we can do is send them love and compassion and strength and let them know that we're here for them no matter what, whether they come in, quote, you know, pants and no tilak and not shaved up, or if they come in dhoti and tilak, you know, it's, it's not about that. It's about what's in the heart, what's going on. And really reaching out to that. I think 
Um, the other thing is, you know, making sure that everybody feels included. You know, we have diversity. We want inclusion as well. And I know that's something that the more I hear about um, the struggles of other temples, the more I'm very grateful to be here in Dallas because we seem to, I won't say we're awesome at it, but we're doing, you know, a little bit better than other places about the inclusion part. But, you know, it's we're all learning. We're all in this process of understanding that we're not this body, but then we are this body. We're living in this body. We're having experiences in this body. So it's really hard to separate that, and that's what we really are spending a lifetimes and lifetimes of learning is we're not this body, and the other person's not their body, and we're all, all spiritual souls, whether they're coming to the temple or not coming to the temple or, you know, devoted to Krishna or devo- devoted to Christ or devoted to Buddha. You know, we're all spirit souls. We want to recognize that in everybody. So hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that challenging question. And with that, we'll end. Durandra Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai.